Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to Series 2, Episode 9 of From Page to Practice. Today, on the eve of the return to school, we're talking about teaching in the online classroom by Douglas Mov and the Teach Like a Champion team. Why, you might ask, when we're set to return tomorrow and, if the Education Secretary's words on television today are to be believed, we will not close again? Well, I'd like this episode to serve as a couple of purposes, really. Firstly, to help reflect upon and celebrate what we've learned during this period of remote learning, and secondly, to consider how this may influence our practice as we move on. Now today we aren't fortunate enough to have another author contribution but we are going to hear from nine readers who will give their reflections and applications of what they have taken away from the book. So I guess it's time we heard from them. First up we have Alex. Hi this is Alex. I'm at MFL Magic on Twitter and Instagram and my current role is head of MFL in a secondary school in the northwest. I've recently read Teaching in the Online Classroom, Surviving and Thriving in the New Normal by Douglamov and the Teach Like a Champion team. I was really interested to read this because our school is big on Teach Like a Champion techniques and they've been implemented throughout the school and throughout the curriculum. Now, I suppose it may be a little late, but there was actually a lot in this book that I took away. Some was good practice that I know I'm already doing and some were things that I could immediately implement and see impacting lessons straight away. So the first chapter struck me immediately with its theories on synchronous versus asynchronous lessons. For those who don't know, synchronous teaching is live teaching through, for example, Microsoft Teams or Google Classroom, and asynchronous is previously recorded lessons that students can watch whenever they can. The reason this interested me so much was that until this January, our school was purely asynchronous teaching. Throughout lockdown one from March to July 2020, and throughout any bubbles bursting in the winter term, we recorded our PowerPoints as lessons, either with video or just sound, uploaded them to YouTube, sent the pupils a link, and they did the work, or didn't, depending on the student. I know some schools have been fully synchronous for some time, teaching full live timetables on Teams or Google Classroom, but our school was reluctant to do this for both staff workload and the lack of technology on the parts of our students. We have 70% disadvantaged students across the school, going up to almost 75% disadvantaged students in our year 11. So Hannah Solomon and Beth Virelli in chapter one discuss the pros and cons of both types of teaching, with synchronous teaching being able to maintain pupil-teacher connection, being able to respond in real time and having better engagement, whereas with asynchronous learning, pupils have control and watch whenever they can, especially useful for our demographic of learner, for example, those who have to share one device between numerous children or may have family responsibilities during the day and therefore can't always join live lessons. They touch on staff workload too, saying that with asynchronous learning, one member of staff can make a video that can be shared among the department and often these videos can be of higher quality due to no time constraints. 
That said, there are a number of disadvantages, and I think what really swung it for our school was the fact that there is no sense of connection through a pre-recorded video, often with a different teacher to normal. And we know that pupils are completing tasks, but are they actually mastering anything, or are they just going through the motions? So despite the flaws in synchronous teaching, such as tech issues, screen fatigue, and the fact that all pupils must be present or they miss learning, we decided to go with a hybrid model, which is what this book suggests. This means that students have maybe one live lesson per subject per week, and the rest is asynchronous learning. Now, when I read this book in mid-January, I'd already started live teaching. We had good attendance figures, and I was getting more work handed in than ever. However, reading this chapter, I found something that I implemented straight away. They float the idea of having the live lessons as a flipped lesson, a time to come together, um, address misconceptions, give feedback, practice common errors, and this really got me thinking. With the lessons I was doing, I had no idea really as to whether pupils were actively engaging or just sat listening and waiting for me to show them the answers. So I immediately moved to a more engaging lesson type. I no longer used the PowerPoints and just continued with the scheme of work. I did low-stakes quizzes for retrieval, translation tasks that included common areas of error, and more assessment-for-learning type tasks, such as using whiteboard.fi, where I could get immediate feedback, address misconceptions straight away, and plan around these misconceptions for our next lesson. At the end of my first live flipped lesson with Year 11, I got loads of thanks as they were leaving for the first time. They enjoyed it, and I could see what they knew, and I counted it as a big win. Then in chapter six, Daryl Williams and Dan Cotton talk about procedures and routines. And to be honest, I thought about skipping the chapter. I know how to run a classroom. However, we're not in a classroom. I'm in my home, the students are in theirs. And so there are bound to be things that I haven't thought of. And there was. In my live lessons, I'd been welcoming pupils one by one. Green tick by my name. Letting them know what we'd be doing that lesson. Another green tick. Saying, make sure you're ready to start little red cross there, and then saying, we'll just wait a few minutes for everyone to join and then we'll get started. Cue massive clacks on and flashing red lights all around. I thought that was a good way to get started, but after reading, I completely agreed with Williams and Cotton. If I were in school, I wouldn't be saying the ambiguous, get ready to start. I'd be saying, get out your books and pens and write the date and title. So why is now any different? I also wouldn't be waiting 10 minutes for stragglers before starting. So why would I now? Therefore, again, I immediately implemented the do now task so the students who were early or on time understood that this is school and it's a lesson. We're not just here to have a chat, we're here to work. Also made them feel like it's not a waste of their time. I also started to implement things like cold calling again, something I'd been avoiding but our students didn't want to turn on their microphones to speak. But cold calling is still easily done through the chat functions. I was making sure I'd pre-planned questions and had an idea of who I was going to ask, depending on who was present in the lesson. And all these things made a success of live lessons with much more engagement than previously. The one downfall that I found with the book was that it's quite Americanized in that they talk about seeing and hearing pupils, getting them to hold things up. And I know a lot of UK schools don't allow cameras or microphones on due to safeguarding issues. I know ours doesn't. So there were more things that I would have liked to have implemented but couldn't. The main thing that I think people should take away is that online teaching is a different type of teaching and we can't, like I did, just go straight into the way we did things in the classroom or go the complete other way and think of it as a completely separate entity. There needs to be some movement on your part to make sure students make progress and actually learn. 
I hope these thoughts of mine are completely useless to you and that we never have to teach online again. But for any future lockdowns or bubbles bursting, there are some great ideas in this book. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Thank you, Alex. I always like to hear how people have changed their practice as a result of what they've read and your contribution does exactly that. I really appreciate it. Now, let's hear from Alison. Hi, my name is Alison Zions and I'm grateful to share some of my thoughts I had while reading Doug Lamov's teaching in the online classroom. I found myself thumbing through this book quite a few times over the last few months. I've always considered myself to be proficient in online learning. I completed an MA in online and distance education in 2018, and I've been running my BTEC classes with Google Classroom since 2015. While I thought this would mean my transition into remote and online learning for my students would be quite smooth, I did have some bumps along the way that I'd like to share with you. Our first hurdle was the routines and procedures. As described in chapter six by Daryl Williams and Dan Cotton, just as students thrive from routines in school, they need similar routines in their online learning. While my school stuck with their normal timetable, so they had a similar flow of their lessons, without the hustle and bustle of traveling to school and moving between classrooms, students were finding it really difficult to transition into each lesson. After my first week, each lesson started with the same routine that I'd like to share with you. The students would join into the lesson where there would be a shared slide with a question about the topic of the last lesson, seeking to evoke an opinion or a discussion. This wasn't a simple yes or no question. This was something where they could explain their views. Students would have the first five minutes while entering the lesson to answer the question while I did the register and said hello to students as they entered. I would read out the answers as they came in. This would prompt some of the students to write in as they wanted to be called on, just like in lesson. If students wrote the message privately to me, I would just say, a student said, rather than their names, because some students were more shy than others. This got them into the mood for the lesson. I would then ask them to use the reaction button to say how they were feeling and would note down students who were feeling more anxious or more nervous, which was usually by the surprised emoji emoji face. Most of my lessons utilized breakout rooms with students able to chat with each other on a more specific task or project. I'd pop in and out of these rooms and ask students for feedback at the end. Usually we used Jamboard in the breakout rooms so students could co-create a resource that would support our engagement for our return to the online uh, to the wider Zoom room afterwards. When we finished up our lesson, I'd ask students to pop into the chat one thing they wanted to know for next lesson to extend their, le- their own learning. Finally, as I said goodbye, I reminded them when our next lesson was and encouraged them to have a healthy snack, walk around for a few minutes and get some water before their next lesson started. This routine worked for me and kept me organized and it also kept the online learning more manageable, but more importantly, it encouraged students to share their views and beliefs. While my comments about maintaining a healthy lifestyle were not always directly linked to my lessons, the students fed back to me that they found it really helpful to help them develop a home learning routine and ensure they weren't just sitting in the same spot all day. The second hurdle was around participation in lessons. In that same chapter, Williams and Cotton speak about different methods of obtaining engagement, including using the chat function, breakout rooms, and cold calling. While all three were encouraged in my school, I have to admit that I avoided the cold calling method online. This was really different to how I normally teach in person, where students know they can be asked for a comment or response on any question at any time. But in the online space where students might be embarrassed by a noisier environment 
or could be learning in the same room as their siblings, I didn't want to risk students feeling unwelcome. I would ask specific students to write in the chat, and I did use volunteers for aspects such as debates. The final hurdle I want to speak about is around assessment for learning, described in detail in Chapter 7 by Emily Bardillo, Jen Rugani, and Hannah Solomon. While our in-person lessons we are more adept at capturing how well students grasped concepts by the end and how effective our home learning tasks might be, it became more challenging in our remote teaching and learning field. I really enjoyed how the authors described lagging assessments as times where students were asked to pause and construct a well-developed response, either in lesson or afterward. This does necessitate feedback from the teachers, which will take more time than comments written in just the chat box, but if structured throughout the scheme of work for online learning, I think it can be manageable. For my own lessons, as I teach BTEC, my students have been working on coursework during this period of remote learning. This allows them to work on their time management and organization skills, which are also some of the more challenging skills for many students to learn while in secondary school. In doing coursework marking over this period of remote teaching, I was able to be more I was able to more directly compare what students have been able to accomplish through remote learning as compared to our in-person lessons, because the work expected was very similar. Overall, I've really enjoyed this book and how it structured some of the concerns teachers might have with making online learning as similar to our in-person lessons. I really look forward to seeing how we can incorporate some of what we've learned throughout the last year into our new normal moving forward. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Alison. It's particularly good for listeners to hear that even someone who has an MA in the subject had something to learn from this book. It certainly is reassuring. Next up, we're going to hear from a returning contribution from Dave and Rhiannon. Hi there, I'm Dave Tushingham and I'm a lead practitioner at a school in Bristol. Hi, I'm Rhiannon Rainbow. I'm a School Improvement Lead Maths for the Greenshaw Learning Trust. And we've had the pleasure of reading Doug Lemos teaching in the online classroom today. And I just wanted to share uh, with Rhi a few of those um, thoughts and and, um, ideas that we got from reading it. Um, And if you don't mind me starting on this one, I've got um, a couple of things I've picked up from the book, which I just thought really helped us in terms of knowing what we wanted from our online learning, what we're looking to get in future um, as we move through and really sort of reassuring us with some of the initial decisions that we made. Um, And that's a particular part where Doug compares asynchronous learning with synchronous learning. And he talks about the benefits and the limits. And some of the benefits that are in um, asynchronous learning is that it becomes a more polished product and both teachers and students control their own schedule and pacing. Uh, The possibility of more sustained and complex assignments as well. Um, But it also talks about the benefits of synchronous learning, building and maintaining connections, checking for understanding and allowing for that greater engagement. Um, And he also talks about the limitations of um, asynchronous learning, where students can access engagement and understanding in real time, the less connection and the less accountability, um, the impact with struggling students, screen fatigue and decreasing attention. Um, And with synchronous learning, also coordinating schedules, tech issues um, and again, attention and screen fatigue. And it just made me think a little bit about some of the work that we've been doing and and how how we've managed our online learning, really. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's no right or wrong approach with this. You know, it's sort of seen as um, 
one or the other and you have to sit in one camp or or the other and never the twain shall meet you know with asynchronous and synchronous being at different ends of the spectrum but I think it's more nuanced than that and and lots of places are doing it for what's best for their context um blended approaches from sort of one extreme to the other really and, and, and seeing what works for them so what we decided is that we would go down an asynchronous route for the majority of what we did mainly year seven to ten to help to increase capacity elsewhere for our exam groups as such and for just in case you get a, a bit of illness in a department especially a, a smaller department or for students who are learning at home and then the benefits of having that menu of asynchronous lessons to keep going back to uh, for a variety of things you can use it for for CPD for developing staff either at the time or afterwards discussions about methods in maths students who are home educating, students who are coming back into school, tailoring provision, interventions and support. There's lots of other things you can use it for afterwards as well. But we went mainly asynchronous and our lessons would were originally on YouTube and they would have a Google form low stakes quiz that was self-marking at the beginning. And then um, a Google form exit ticket that was in the main self-marking. And for maths, we went down the route for the diagnostic questions from Craig Barton's website. And that was really helpful. But what we were finding was that students weren't getting that feedback for the comments we were putting in there because you'd have to click submit and that you want to see your responses and the answers to get it. So one of our creation team, one of the maths ones, um, Ben Smith, I think it was, devised a, one that had a feedback loop. So if a student submitted an incorrect answer, it took them straight to a hint to help to provide prompts and scaffolding from the lesson and the language that was used there to help them then to either try it again or move on to the next question if they were happy. So that was, you know, really helpful for the students because it meant that they were getting immediate feedback and support on their multiple choice low stakes quizzes, but it wasn't informing the staff. And one of the difficulties with grabbing data like that on such a large forum, because we were we were being used, um, the last set of data from our YouTube channel was one and a quarter million views in 120 countries. So capturing information in GDPR is a little bit of a, uh, Pandora's box that we don't really want to open. So I noticed recently that what Oak Academy have done for theirs is where students can um, share their results of their quiz that they've just gotten in their lesson with their teacher directly. Um, one of the things we've got on our website now, instead of students having to click around, because I think that's another one of the issues with all of the different apps and types of technology in places. So they go to our website it's all built in. They do the low stakes quiz. It takes them straight to the video and then afterwards straight to the exit ticket and it's all contained there. But the teachers aren't getting that feedback. And so that's one thing to really think about now, which is why I think a blended approach is really helpful. So beforehand, we had help desks and we had staff from across the trust pulled together, scheduled onto help desks at different time frames throughout the day. It was, it was a fantastic um, project that was put together. But because it was a help desk, it was mainly seen as and used for technical difficulties. 
So what a number of schools now are doing with um, year groups that are mainly asynchronous with their lesson provision is they've got a chat going with a subject specialist that students can access. So they can be doing their lessons. The teachers know what it is because they've worked through it beforehand in their planning. And then when students aren't sure, they can just chat with a subject specialist about it in their own school. And I think that about the personalised engagement and building those relationships with students is really, really helpful and beneficial. And it just means that having the videos already done creates additional capacity within staff to find other ways of providing feedback and working with the classroom as it is at the moment, where it is blended, a bit of one, a bit of something else. We've got to be versatile. Agile, I think, is the word that's being used a lot. So those are some of the approaches that, that we've used. And I've also found as a parent, all three of my children have different approaches from each of their schools. My daughter has mainly live lessons. And I echo what Doug Limoff says there about the constraints of that strict and rigid schedule. And my son has asynchronous, everything is pre-recorded, so he can do it as and when works for him. And there are pros and cons with, with, with both of those. So I like... I think is very timely Doug's book because it's articulating and discussing things that we've been thinking about but not quite sure of how to phrase. And I think that's what I really like about the book as well is how it, how it really sort of puts it into a very specific language so that we can see what we're doing, what we've been thinking, and we can then make those decisions about what we want to do. And the blended approach for me as well feels like it makes sense trying to minimise those limitations and trying to, to maximise the benefits of both of those uh, approaches, synchronous and asynchronous. And there's a particular part I saw in the book um, about dissolving the screen um, and the idea of trying to make the online classroom as much like the actual physical classroom as possible. And so um, trying to echo what that classroom looks like online, it can be challenging, but, but that theme I think is really important. And being able to see students in their work, to acknowledge and respond, Doug, Doug talks about. And uh, and also thinking about beyond the screen, so looking at um, how you make contact with students beyond those lessons also, I think um, I think it's really, really important too. And I thought for the asynchronous, um, for people who've gone down the asynchronous route, one of the discussion threads I saw on Twitter recently, based on, I think it was a comment from Doug's book, actually, that if you have got an asynchronous lesson and you're telling students, right, you have five minutes now to do this exercise, build that time into the video. Don't just put a slide up that says pause and then expect them to time themselves, but actually set the stage up for them and give them that scaffolding and that opportunity. And it also then contains it within that lesson. So if you want them to spend 55 minutes, 60 minutes on that lesson, make your video 55 or 60 minutes long. So they know that if they sit down and they work through it as it is, it will be like a normal lesson. And that's something that I didn't do within my own videos. So when hours worth of learning I've got maybe a 15-20 minute video for because I've told the students to pause whereas actually I could have helped to have done that for them so it's one less thing for them to do and I think that's a really really valid point because it contains the learning time for the student in in two ways it gives them the expectation that they are expected to sit down and work for that time and also means that that's the amount of time to dedicate to it because what my daughter's finding sometimes is the teacher's talking during the lesson and giving her the work to do for the lesson and homework. And she's not able to do the lesson work during the lesson time because there isn't the time allowed for it. So I think it just helps to control that a little bit more and, and, and contain it. 
I think it's absolutely spot on and I think the book's really helped with those reflections for us as well I've really enjoyed reading it um, and thanks for sharing your ideas as well Ria it's been an absolute pleasure just to, to be able to sort of take that um, book and just to, to see what it means to us so uh, so that, I think that's been great thank you so much it's always a pleasure I love talking books with you Dave you're listening to From Page to Practice join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag page practice podcast Thanks, Dave and Rianne, for returning once again. It's enjoyable to hear joint reflections like this. If anyone else is interested in doing something similar for a future episode, please do let me know. Next up, we're going to hear from Kate. Hello, my name's Kate Reid. Um, I am a subject lead for history in a, quite a large comprehensive school in Bristol. And I am also the teaching and learning research lead for our school, so I lead on most of our CPD. Um, I embarked upon reading, teaching in the online classroom um, in January of this year, Um, just as we were, I think I literally bought it the the day that we went into into the second lockdown. Um, And I wanted to to make sure that the CPD that we were offering whilst we were in lockdown to our teaching team was really relevant and up to date. Um, And this felt like the best way to do that. Um, So for a bit of context, we run CPD sessions once a week, um, currently via Teams. So all of our teaching staff join and some of our teaching assistants join as well. Um, and on top of that, we also have a instructional coaching programme where every member of our school team is paired up with another member of our school team who've been trained as coaches. Um, and there's quite a lot of reciprocal coaching that goes on with that as well. And we've still been running that throughout the um, throughout both of the lockdowns, actually, with sort of live drop-ins, um, a, a completely at sort of teachers' requests. Um, and it's it's a very sort of open door policy at our school, and people are very supported in a kind of culture of CPD and staff development. So this book um, has been really influential in what we've been doing with our CPD training over the last two or three months. Um, so key takeaways that I've taken from it, um, the first thing that we started looking at, particularly in my department in history, is is that we were stripping back as much of what we were doing um, in our lessons as possible. So our lessons became slightly shorter. Um, eventually, they, they went from an hour down to 50 minutes just to allow some allow students and staff some non-screen time in between um, their lessons, because I think we've all kind of got, got a bit of teams fatigue um <laughs> over the last few few months and and the the year of, of lockdown um and we were just getting feedback from staff and from students that actually it was all a bit much so we wanted to make sure that we were able to pare back our lessons um so that they contained the absolute nuts and bolts of what we wanted students to understand that we offered lots and lots of points for them to um consolidate that knowledge and uh we offered lots of modeling and and we'd begun to do this and when i was then reading the um teaching in the online classroom and seeing that that's in the very first chapter um, of the book, it kind of made it a little bit more concrete for us about why we were doing these things. So one of the things that we began to do is is to script some of our exposition, um, which ordinarily I'm not a fan of doing because it sounds a little bit forced but when, when time became so precious on online um, and particularly my department I've got two um, RQTs in my department who are both absolutely brilliant um, and they they found that really helpful, even if it was just having sort of five bullet points that these were the key things to get through in that lesson. Um, It gave us real precision. And I really liked the quote from the first chapter that it said, it was talking about the economy of language and it it said about um, 
uh, not wasting a single word. And that's really what we were trying to sort of emphasise. And, and then we began to sort of talk about that across the whole um, school teaching team as well, just to make sure we were as precise as possible. Um, and on top of that, then we all, the, the, I think the very first thing that we all began to do was to strip back our um, our PowerPoints or our whatever technical sort of resources we were using, visual resources, to make them as as online friendly as possible. We know we've we're we teach in quite um, uh, a deprived area of Bristol, and we know that a lot of a lot of our students were accessing the lessons via a mobile phone, and that meant that things that we might have used in in um, in the classroom really weren't translating well to um, in the online world um, on a tiny kind of a tiny little screen that that was really difficult to see, and that that's a problem in in history when we've got you know, texts that we want students to engage with and historians' interpretations. But it was something that we realised that we had to overcome. So we've utilised um, dual coding massively throughout um, throughout the lockdown period alongside this scripting. And both of that is sort of reinforced within that first chapter and later on in the in the book as well. Um, the the second chapter I absolutely loved, and this, this term of dissolving the screen is something that we've repeatedly come back to at my school, um, just about the importance of relationships and again it's something in 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 my school that that has been the the kind of um the absolute skeleton of what we do the 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 reason that we're all in in the job that we're in is because we want these relationships with the, with students and we want them to want to be in our lessons and to be engaging with what we're doing um so that that um that idea of, of maintaining those relationships has been really important I had a lovely lesson with my year 11 um class yesterday where we we'd done um a bit of exam practice and we'd done a little bit of revision and they were really they're really anxious about returning on Monday and we just had some time of, of that so they turned their cameras on and um, everybody unmuted and we had actually had a conversation um, which felt just as important actually at that point as the the content that we'd been studying um, to sort of let them know that we're still listening and we're still here and in spite of talking to black screens on teams um we are absolutely still human beings and we recognise that they are as well and that they need that 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 time. And one of the things that I found really um, impactful here is that um, I made sure that I kept my camera on all the time as much as that that didn't fill me with, with pleasure <laughs> doing. Um, but the feedback from my classes was, was that that sort of reminded them that it was a real person behind the, the, the kind of voice. And it was really nice to have that familiarity um, of, of just seeing somebody that they recognised. And, and, you know, so all the, all the routines that um, I have in a classroom and the, the kind of the relationships and, and the, um, the different sort of tricks and techniques that I use, I still maintain that online just to have that little sense of normality. And, and like I said, often that meant that sometimes um, it was absolutely the right thing to do to sort of um, allow students time to ask questions and to 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 um, just pause and think about things that weren't necessarily completely to do with the curriculum, um, because it's been a time of a lot of anxiety for lots of people. So that um, dissolving the screen has been really really powerful um, and really sort of echoed my own feelings about what was going on at the time, um, and you know, as I said, the reason that I went into teaching in the first place. Um, I think the chapter that was probably most important to me and in my school is chapter three around this culture of attention and engagement. And it's certainly something last lockdown um, that I don't know that we necessarily cracked perfectly. And I don't know if anybody did. Um, I don't I don't know if anybody still does. Um, but we certainly I, I certainly feel like we've done a better job of it this time. Um, 
So in the first lockdown, we were recording um, lessons and uploading them onto, um, onto our school website and the students followed the timetable and then we had sort of weekly um, check-ins with our Key Stage 3 students and uh, live check-ins and then um, twice weekly sort of tutorials with our GCSE classes. And um, attendance was not always amazing some some classes were much better than others um and we we really didn't get a sense of of what students had understood and what they were doing we had weekly microsoft forms quizzes that they were completing to kind of give us an idea of what they'd understood but it it all felt like it wasn't we weren't doing as good a job as we were doing it had we been face to face which is not a surprise you know it was a completely brand new situation but in the second lockdown, we kind of launched into it completely differently from the word go, as I think a lot of schools did. And we taught a full live timetable with um, five lessons a day and teachers teachers live for the entire lesson. Um, and it, although it was a lot more intense, um, the feedback we've had from our staff body, from our student body and from our parents and carers has been phenomenal. And it's given us a much better um idea now you know before we even step back into the classroom on Monday um we are absolutely concrete in in what our students have have understood in who will have the biggest um barriers to overcome when we come back into lessons because we've been tracking attendance this time which we didn't do as much of the first time round. and um this chapter talking about this I the, the need for um knowing and understanding what our students have un have understood or not has really resonated and uh, I began to sort of play with a few different platforms that allow us to check this online and we, we'd been using Microsoft Forms um, and it felt a little bit clunky. Um, we'd been using um, a, a few different platforms and the one that we that I eventually landed on is um, a website called GoFormative which I'm sure some of you may have heard of um, and essentially you build a lesson in a sort of linear fashion you can have multiple choice quizzes you can upload uh, an embed video you can um, have sort of essay based things they've got a little whiteboard function on there that you can um, preload with you know a graph or a source or whatever it might be that you want them to look at and they can annotate it around the outside or they can just have the whiteboard for them to kind of write sums and equations and you know whatever it might be really really interactive and then as a teacher you get a dashboard of every student that's joined that class and you can, and it updates live so as they're as they're marking on their whiteboard as they are typing an essay um you can see absolutely everything that they're doing in real time um and this has completely changed my teaching practice um i have never felt so aware of how a, how a class is doing as i do at the moment um because every single lesson every single child that i'm teaching is getting feedback it's mostly verbal but there is there are boxes um, for each child where you can type feedback to them um, and they respond to it um, and the the, the, um, the chapter five I felt went hand in hand with this about that that assessment um, and creating a feedback loop and go formative has has just allowed us to do that in absolute droves so um, I've, I ran some training for our um, for our teaching staff and most of our departments are now using go formative and converting lots of our lessons to it and we're really fortunate um 
I work for a multi-academy trust who are rolling out um, a project this year where all students will eventually end up with an iPad. Um, and it's something as a, as a faculty, as the humanities department, we've decided that we will, we, we will not move away from GoFormative um, because it allows us that, that, um, that accountability and that feedback loop that with the best intentions in the world, we couldn't get around every single child in a lesson and give them as um, co concrete and specific and precise feedback. And have them respond to it in one lesson, even if, you know, we had all best intentions, we physically couldn't do it, um, especially at the moment where we're having to teach from our two metre box. Um, so we we have decided that, you know, this is the way forward for us. Um, it's, again, we're going to use it for homework because um, as students are completing essays, it gives us the functionality to be able to then mark it and give them feedback. They can then come back to it and respond. Um, and it's just been... It's kind of like looking at that that chapter and thinking about actually how do we know whether or not they're understanding things. And the first couple of weeks of this lockdown, I was setting tasks and I'd sit there, you know, silently with that tumbleweed moment for sort of 10 minutes and thinking, have have they done it? Did I have any questions? I can't see anything that they've done. And I felt completely blind and, you know, was really missing being in the classroom. Um, and as soon as we we discovered this, um, this, uh, platform it's just been a complete game changer and um, another platform that works um, in a similar but different way that our MFL department have uh, led some CPD on and we've since been trialing that as well as spiral um, and we've been using quickfire light on spiral which is where you basically students join the class and they get um, like a text box and as soon as you you verbally say a question they then respond to that question and again it comes up with a dashboard so you can see everything that they've said you can then push that back to a student if you want them to improve the answer um, or you can then reset it and ask a second question it requires absolutely zero prep whatsoever because you you are just verbally saying the questions and they're getting a blank box to type into but immediately gives you a sense of have students understood it and it's got another really lovely feature as well at the end of it where students can um, assess whether or not they have um, they feel like they've understood the lesson so it's kind of like a, a bit of a, um, um, a litmus test to, to be able to decide whether or not you need to move on or whether actually they don't feel um, they don't feel happy that they've understood the, the context of the lesson um, and the you know, really got to grips with it. So actually it might need a bit more time next lesson. So that's been a really nice feature as well to, to actually have the students reflect upon their own learning. Um, and, you know, were it not for the lockdown, we'd never found these platforms. We, we weren't looking for them um, as far as we were concerned. We didn't have a need for them because we were kind of circulating the classroom as much as we could and uh, lots and lots of live marking. Um, but it's just it's just been a game changer. And we, we, we um, now are in a situation where, actually because all of that marking is happening in a lesson the only marking that we we needed to do were, were, were formal formal assessments there's no sort of ticking and flicking of books or anything and that that kind of thing I know died quite a long time ago but that there's no um none of that work needs to happen after the lesson because you you can see every single child's work literally as letter by letter as they're as they're building it and just seeing the students respond to our feedback um, and I've been in lots of different teachers online lessons watching them um, and helping them with this platform and it's just a complete pleasure just seeing how much this entices students to work they feel valued because you're you're directly responding to them and then they're building on that it's also really good 
for, for catching students out that have joined the lesson uh, and maybe they're not quite as engaged as we might hope they would be and you can kind of say to them, um, you know, Eric... Uh, why your go formative is blank how how what's going on why are you not involved in this and then you know inevitably eventually they'll they'll kind of join on and realize that actually you can see that they're doing nothing um and so our engagement was was almost up as high as our attendance which I'm certain it wasn't at the beginning of of the lockdown when we before we discovered go formative so all of that fit in beautifully with chapter three and chapter five of um teaching in the online classroom and as I said it's just something that we are absolutely adamant that we're not going to lose like we've actually gained so much um, professional development from using this platform and in helping our students to make progress as well it also means that for our year 11 students where we're looking at this evidence base that we've got now this portfolio of work that they've been doing online um, that they've been building on and improving their work so just a complete winner for as far as we're concerned um and then uh, the 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 final thing that I'll mention is just in chapter four with the the the, um, the bits about pause points. This is something that we'd been thoroughly embedded uh, embedding, sorry, since September, and one of the things that we'd been le- we'd been leading lots of CPD around because we recognised that from the previous lockdown we had a bit a job of work to do as as we all do as educators to you know make sure that we didn't leave any students behind um, when we began in September. So so there's an element of, of kind of covering content that maybe not all students had access to back in, back last year. Um, and so we wanted to kind of chunk our lessons and make sure that we had these opportunities for students to stop and take stock of what they, they'd been asked to do, to apply it. And I really like the, the, the sort of concept of getting off to a crisp and clear start um, that, that they spoke about um, in in the book as well, um, but alongside that, just making sure that that we uh, I think the phrase that they use is is fighting the tide of passivity. So not just listening to you sort of rambling on for hours on end, but giving them opportunities at frequent points to apply that um, and really simplifying it. I think I I underestimated the need to do that at the beginning of our sort of period online, and and um, you kind of forget actually how much more difficult it is to get things across when even with things like not being able to to sort of express things with your hands and your 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 facial expressions um it's a lot more difficult to get that across when there's you know a vast gap between you and a big sort of laptop screen um that is is keeping everybody apart so i think the the pause points have been really um influential and in fact just um at the beginning of this term the the last bit of cpd that i've been leading for our team is around multiple choice questioning and how to make them really really strong um and actually, I've just come from um, the Teach Meet History Icons um, session this morning and Kate Jones delivered an amazing session on retrieval practice and uh, was talking about the importance of multiple choice questions. Um, and she's just given me a bit of a game changer as well. But she, she mentioned actually including the option of I don't know in your multiple choice questions um, in those sort of pause points where we're checking for understanding um, because she said what was happening is she'd put you know, three or four different options and and students would select. And if they didn't know, they'd guess. Um, And then as teachers, we're fooled into thinking that that child understands because they have accidentally guessed the correct answer and we move on sort of, you know, blindly. Whereas giving the I don't know option is... um, is, uh, It's not a kind of cop-out for them, but it's a way of us being able to say, okay, actually, they haven't understood it. They haven't guessed. um, But that's a sort of message to me that I need to do something to help that student overcome that that, um, 
that confidence barrier perhaps or maybe they just haven't understood it and we need to to apply it in a different way um so yeah that's that's hot off the press this morning that I am um, I thought that was an absolutely genius suggestion when she when I first saw it on screen I thought that's a bit that doesn't sound sensible at all um and then she explained it and it seemed really really obvious and I wish I'd I wish I'd heard it eight weeks ago. Um, so yeah, multiple choice questioning. We do a lot of um, using the chat uh, in in lessons in our, in our school. We use tap tap show, so they'll literally tap the desk twice and then show that hold up whatever hand of the answers that they think, just as a quick um, sort of reckoner for the teacher to be able to gauge whether they're ready then to use that knowledge to apply um, with multiple choice questions. Um, and we've been doing something similar in our online lessons where we're using the chat and we kind of we ask the students to hold it and then you count down to uh to from three to one um and everybody sends it at the same time so you don't get the kind of oh 10 people before me have put answer a so it must be answer a um we've been applying like lots of the um the writing revolution techniques of adding uh, because, but, and so to get them then to expand upon why did they select that answer um, to really check that they have understood it and they're not just guessing as well. And that all seemed to fit really nicely and with, with chapter four of the book around um, the, the pause points and just making sure that we are absolutely confident that they're able to apply that knowledge uh, that they understand that knowledge and then they're able to apply it afterwards so um yeah just a book that is full of information that that for you know lots of it for me reading it it just gave me a lot of confidence that we were doing the right thing and then the, there's these sort of little bits little nuggets of information that just make you think oh that's so obvious absolutely brilliant I love the fact that that it's got the little videos that you can go and um go and watch afterwards and that's been really useful in in running CPD sessions as well um for just to kind of give examples of when this is happening but depersonalize it from our own context um but yeah, to, for, for the fact that it's been produced so quickly and, and in such, you know, quick response to what has, has happened over the last year, I think it's a gem of a book um, that we will we'll almost certainly be needing, um, you know, in the future, not hopefully not because of COVID, but but as as the world becomes more technological um, and we, we move to a, a world where we're not going to be able to hide from technology um I think there's going to be still loads and loads to take away from this even now lockdown's ending and we're back in the classroom um on Monday so yeah really highly recommend this book um and I think it's a really easy read as well so it would be a good one to sort of run as a book club in in school as well um and just lots of lots of little bits that you can share with 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 the staff body and sort of put into action really really quickly so um yeah really enjoyed it you're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Such a full reflection here, Kate. You offered for me to cut some of your contribution, but I just couldn't. You had a lot to say that could really help lots of people. I love the shout out to the Teach Me History Icons event um, and the recording is free to view. You just need to find them on Twitter. Whilst you're there, you can find the Teach Me icons for your subject. There's lots of us. We have an MFL event coming up on the 20th of March and also Teach Me Icons are looking for a volunteer teams manager which is perfect for anyone passionate about teacher CPD so do contact Tom Rogers about that if you're interested. Next up we're going to hear from Mark. Hi there, my name is Mark Jesnick. I'm an assistant principal at a school in North London, and I'm genuinely really excited to be able to talk about Doug Lamoff's book, Teaching in the Online Classroom, today, as it's been such an incredible help to me and everyone at my school this year so far. 
we as a school are extremely aligned with Doug Lamov's Teach Like a Champion and use various strategies from there. So it was natural that we'd look to his work when we moved into remote teaching and teaching live lessons on Microsoft Teams in January. But I was actually blown away by just how useful the book was, not only in thinking about those remote lessons, but actually in th about thinking in, about teaching and learning more generally and how we can support our teachers to deliver the best provision in the classroom, remote or real. I like how the book immediately addresses the challenges and in a very practical and pragmatic way says that screen fatigue is real and it's obviously very difficult to actively engage students, let alone adults, when they're on screen the whole time. But it also emphasises that the fundamentals of teaching still apply and that a good lesson is a good lesson, whether real or remote. The most powerful way, and this is a direct quote from the book, to communicate with students across the screen is by teaching well, keeping normalcy and continuity with normal lessons, and that's something that we focused on straight away when looking at the book. But it also introduced me to a number of strategies and ideas that I hadn't thought about so much. The first of these being pause points. And pause points was a term I hadn't heard used before, but is actually so, so relevant to the normal bricks and mortar classroom, as Doug Lamov calls it, uh, because it's simply the idea that we need to pause early and often to actively engage students. And he uses a lovely phrase in the chapter about pause points, chapter four, that we need our students to feel invited, involved and invested in their lessons. And again, that's so relevant to normal school. And I was actually lucky enough to also attend a webinar with Doug Lamov um, during this process or in the last couple of months. And he absolutely practiced what he preached in this regard. The webinar was after school on a Thursday um, and it was four o'clock and everyone was feeling quite tired. But within the first five minutes, he'd used three pause points really emphatically. We'd watched a video and made notes. We'd been put into a breakout room and we were cold called um, behind the screen. And that just showed me that this was exactly the provision we needed for our students. He gives four purposes for these pause points, all of which I was lucky enough to experience in that webinar. That they help with cognitive engagement or accountability of our students, that they allow for formative thinking before future tasks, that they check for understanding, and they also help consolidate learning through retrieval practice. And so thinking about lessons in that way really helped us simplify what we decided staff should be offering in remote teaching. We simplified our lesson structure, called it a lesson cycle, uh, and expected staff to double plan, which would really help them by thinking about what they were saying and doing all the time and what students were doing. And that really helped make sure that those pause points were in there so that students did remain invited, involved and invested, and above all, actively engaged. The other term that really struck me as, as so, so important from the book and links to those pause points was means of participation. Again, it's not something I'd, I'd spoken about or heard spoken about in those terms before, but it made immediate sense. It links into the Teach Like a Champion technique of ratio and the idea that students should be thinking deeply and participating well. And Doug Lamov lists different means of participation in chapter six of the book that can keep students involved and make sure they're doing that participation. 
He uses the examples of breakout rooms, uh, verbal cold call, volunteers, use of the chat box in different ways, and also everybody writes, so still students being able to write with pen and paper. And we adapted some of these into our own lessons, especially using extra uh, means of participation like Microsoft Forms or the Class Notebook on Teams. And it really had an impact of raising expectations for our staff. I got lots of emails saying, I only had 25 uh, responses in the chat. And I absolutely loved that because it meant that staff were really expecting students to participate and holding them accountable for that. And that's something we can take back to the bricks and mortar classroom from next week when we go back, those raised expectations that students do participate well because they've done it remotely, because we've given them the chance to do it remotely. And that's all because of the book and all because of the various strategies in there, but particularly pause points, means of participation, and the overall focus on keeping students actively engaged throughout remote lessons. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Thank you for contribution, Mark. I'm really pleased you found the book so useful, not just for the short-term situation we found ourselves in, but for the return to the classroom too. Next up, the first of our two Rachels for today. Hello, my name is Rachel Pickering. I'm at Mademoiselle Garf on Twitter. I'm a teacher of modern foreign languages and an acting pastoral leader in a school in England. I bought teaching in the online classroom in January as our school moved from completely asynchronous learning in lockdown one to live teaching at least part of every lesson since Christmas. I'm going to focus on chapters one and six and the implications this has had on my practice. According to Hannah Solomon and Beth Verrilli in chapter one, there are advantages and disadvantages to both asynchronous and synchronous learning. When we were doing pre-recorded videos last year, I certainly put pressure on myself to record the perfect take, which was in hindsight silly, as we make mistakes often in live teaching in the classroom. I also missed interacting with students in real time. This has improved in live teaching with uh, questioning, although students' cameras are off in our setting, and there are often lots of gaps where I'm waiting for a response. I feel students still have excuses for not participating, some legitimate, such as technological difficulties, and we can't gauge engagement in the same way as we could in the classroom. I also feel asynchronous teaching benefits anxious students, as well as some with SEND, as they can pause and rewind the lessons if necessary, or take breaks. This worked really well in the first lockdown. I did a series of lessons on phonics for Key Stage 3 in French and German, and asked students to record themselves practising the pronunciation and send it to me. I had some really positive feedback, particularly from the quieter students who don't always feel confident participating in front of their peers. The thread throughout this book is to maintain as much of the classroom routine as possible while making any changes to this routine explicit. We have found our starter activities helpful, particularly those involving some sort of retrieval practice. As live teaching became more natural for me and the students, I became less reliant on virtual hands up and began selecting particular students to answer questions, which Doug Lamov terms cold calling. I also like the distinction in chapter six by Daryl Williams and Dan Cotton between speed questions, fastest finger first, and wait questions where students type in the chat but wait to send their answers. I use speed questions when I want to improve engagement and increase pace, particularly for vocab retrieval. Wait questions have been great for reading and listening comprehension activities to give all pupils a chance to respond. With writing or speaking tasks, I've tried to get students to build on or develop their classmates' answers. 
This has worked particularly well at Key Stage 4 before a piece of extended writing, and this can be used to great effect in the collaborative space in OneNote or something similar in Google Classroom. This book, Teaching in the Online Classroom, has certainly shaped my thinking during the pandemic, and I would recommend it to anyone embarking on some form of remote or blended teaching and learning, particularly senior leaders who are considering how best to implement this in their setting. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. And we'll go from one Rachel straight to another. Here's Rachel Wilde. Hi, I'm Rachel Wilde. I'm a head of history at an 11 to 16 secondary school in Leeds. Um, I started to read teaching in the online classroom in January and the reason was because my school moved to a full live teaching timetable. So prior to that, we'd been learning obviously online, but we hadn't been delivering live lessons. So I felt like I wanted and I needed a little bit more guidance for myself to feel confident and also to feel confident with delivering messages to my department and asking them to kind of follow certain guidelines and routines to again make sure I knew that that was what I should be doing Um, and I found the book you know absolutely key to covering the fundamentals of online learning and there's been several things that I think I'll take from the book into the classroom Um, and I wanted to run through those I couldn't pick a favorite chapter so I've gone for my three key tips and techniques that I picked up that I've been using online and I'm going to take forward into the classroom when we return in the UK to school on the 8th of March So the first one was this idea of show call and it was in the dissolve the screen chapter and that idea of showing students work and online I hadn't thought about this myself but in a classroom students see other people working they see everyone with their heads down working and when they're at home they don't see that everyone else is doing that work so by showing that work and praising that work it is dissolving that idea that they're on their own doing it and we've spoken about that then with my classes when I've shared the work so I've made a real conscious effort to include extracts of students work we use Google Classroom so we're on the class stream or within the lessons and prior to Covid that would be something I'd do kind of under the visualizer but actually moving back into school in September in the COVID restrictions in the taped off area at the front of the classroom wasn't able to move around as much and I hadn't really um, found a way to bridge that gap and I think when I go back into the classroom this time I'll try and take far more pictures of students work to put within the lesson to really praise or pick pick apart the work for the positives and where they could improve and bring that idea of show call through through pictures of the work in that way as a way of you know not being able to move around as much and really still praise students. My second kind of largest tip was the fact that it talks about in the pause points chapter and I love that chapter but the key bit for me was the fact that they all need to feel invested in the lesson and involved in the lesson and yes you know starting with a really quick activity but actually it's kind of using online like using the comment system so we can quite quickly and easily praise the majority of the class within the first five minutes of the lesson um, and having them all have access to it. And actually, I realised within my own lessons in the classroom, I've moved away from the mini whiteboards a bit. That might be because I predominantly am teaching the, the key stage four year groups um, under our COVID bubble system. And actually, when I go back into the classroom, I need to find a way to praise the majority of the students within the first five minutes for some great work, or if they've, you know, they've got some misconceptions, but make them feel invested in the lesson within that first five, 10 minutes so they stay invested just like I would make that effort online to make sure they're all there, they're engaged, we've done the register, 
but they are in that lesson. And then my third one were the different types of questions. This was through a case study and it was through Ben's case study. It was in the procedure review chapter. Um, and it was the speed, weight and verbal questions. And I think I'm guilty of often in the classroom just asking a question and then going, right, to you, student A. Um, and not giving them maybe that process in time that they do need and not giving others a chance then to air their thoughts. So online, I've been using that by sort of saying, right, I'm going to give you a minute and then I want you to write in the comments, but don't write in until I say go. So giving them that wait time, but also mixing it up with the cold calling and the speed questions, um, both through the comments and verbally. And I think going back into the classroom, it's having that mix of the speed questions and the questions where they've got time to, to really think about it and thinking more about my question, which as someone who is kind of in a seventh year of teaching, I think questioning is always something that people can work on. And I think it's something that's gone to the back of my priority list a bit as I've got more confident with teaching and delivering the lessons. And actually, when I reflect on it after reading the book, I need to put more weight questions in my lessons and I need to give more students the time to process it. Um, and it's been a really key reminder for me personally moving forward. Um, for me, teaching the online classroom has been brilliant over the last few weeks. Whilst we've been on those live lessons, I've been able to use it and summarise key chapters to give my staff um, more guidance on routines to put in place and how they should be working and what works well. It's meant that when I've been quality assuring live lessons as well, I've been able to reinforce my feedback with evidence from the book, which has been brilliant. And my feedback's been far more effective and more concise. And I know what I'm looking for more with the live lessons. Um, and I think there are still things that we can take then into the classroom and transition it back in. And I think it's brilliant for still teaching with the COVID restrictions in place, because even though we're going back into the classroom on the 8th of March, we aren't going back into our normal classrooms. We aren't going to be able to circulate around the room. We aren't going to be able to live mark within the classroom. So even now, there's a huge amount you can get from this with those restrictions in place to make sure that we are delivering those high quality lessons that students are engaged with. So I would really highly recommend it. And those were my key takeaways. Thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing your three key takeaways that we can continue to use in the classroom. We have two remaining contributions for today, so let's hear from Sadie. Hi, my name is Sadie Thompson. I tweet as at Miss McLaughlin and I'm a languages teacher in Southampton. I'm in my 10th year of teaching now, I think, um, and I'm just going to share my reflections on the book, the newest book from Doug Lemoff, um, Teaching in the Online Classroom. Uh, to start with, I really enjoyed the format of the book. I like that it's short enough to pick up and dip into. The chapters are divided up pretty well into um, topics that I'm interested in, so I've been able to pick and mix a little bit rather than having to read it from cover to cover. Um, and I like that there's little video clip examples um, dotted throughout. So they'll explain a point and then you can watch a point as well, um, which is really nice. It's nice to be able to see teachers in practice remote learning because it is completely new to all of us, isn't it? So it's it's quite nice to see a good example of that. Um, I chose it because, well, we're all still in another lockdown. So remote learning once again. Um, and just to get a little bit of expertise and upskill myself. But also um, I'm interested in Doug Lemoff himself and all the Teach Like a Champion stuff. The chapter I'm going to talk about is chapter two, which is about dissolving the screen. 
and um, that's written by Jean Rugani and Kevin Grijalva. Um, and I absolutely love the idea of it because remote learning, the screen is absolutely the barrier. Um, it feels like a real physical barrier between us and our pupils. Um, and it's the first chapter I, I dipped into and read. And so far, I think it's been the most valuable of the ones that I have picked up. Um, it, the whole point of the chapter is to um, show you ways in which you can dissolve your screen but create more of a back and forth exchange between um, pupils and, and their teachers um, and the quote I like I picked out was that um, it, it's a way to ensure that students are feeling accountable and connected um, which sort of resonated with me because I think since we've been teaching online um, we're all quite familiar with that tumbleweed feeling of talking into the ether and not really getting very much back. So I have taken a few things from it and I feel like it's making a bit of a difference already in my lessons. Um, my favourite quote is on page 38 and I actually tweeted it out because it just stuck with me and it's um, that the most powerful way to communicate our care is by teaching well. Competency is one of the critical ways teachers build trust so teaching in a way that connects is the key um, and I think that's the most important thing. There's been quite a lot of talk online as to using lots of fancy new technology um, but I think at the core of it if we are teaching lessons and planning our lessons well that's what's most important to our students. They're not interested in fads. They'll go along with the games and things for a few lessons, but they appreciate and they can tell when they're being taught well. So I, I thought that was an important takeaway. Um, the chapter goes on to talk about authentic achievement, which again is another point I think is really important. Students can spot um, empty, easy accomplishments. So setting the level of challenge as you would in the classroom is just as relevant now as it would be if you were back in school. Um, and what I've been trying to do, which is working really nicely, is acknowledging presence. So I'm logging on a little bit before the students and making sure that I'm saying hello to them in the target language as a languages teacher as I see them arrive, um, which is nice. And some of them are uh, starting to feel a bit braver and are muting and saying hi back and, and dismissing when they say bye, they, they say adios, auf Wiedersehen. Um, and about sharing their work and sharing their achievements. And I've started to do this a bit more and making the most of our school's Twitter account and sharing some of their work or maybe doing some screenshots and sharing on the slide at the beginning. And pupils seem to be really enjoying with that and engaging a little bit more. So I think that's a really great tip. Um, I am chasing work still, but trying not to punish too much, I suppose. Maybe that's not the right word, but maybe trying not to be quite too harsh on them as we're all sort of struggling now, third lockdown in. Um, but what I read really is that if you can try and recreate your physical classroom online with the same gestures and movements and routines, that pupils will appreciate that and engage with that because ultimately they just want to be taught well. Um, so yeah, really enjoying it so far. Would definitely recommend the book. Um, and I like that it's a, a quick go-to dip in and out type book, not too heavy. Um, and it's got, you know, some really relevant tips for exactly what we're going through right now. Thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag Page Practice Podcast. Thanks for your reflection, Sadie. We just have one more to hear from now, and that's from Tom. Hello, my name is Tom Patterson. I am Director of Humanities at Greensward Academy in Hockley in Essex. 
I was very excited when it was announced that Doug Lemoff was releasing the remote learning because I was familiar with Teach Like a Champion and like many teachers, um, I'd, I'd gained a lot from it. So um, when I got the remote learning book, I actually ended up devouring it in a weekend, which is very, very unlike me. But it came at a really effective time because remote learning I'd found frustrating because, in my view, we had been doing it for long enough when you go back to the first lockdown in the UK where I'm based, that really we should be better at it. It was no longer this shocked set of circumstances. It was something we should be prepared for. And just like in the classroom, looking at ways as to how we can improve what we're offering to our students to enhance their learning. And something that I'd found challenging that Lemov really helped uh, crystallise for me was the realisation that effective remote learning isn't just trying basically to film a lesson. Um, It is, as Lemov goes into, um, there's particular routines, particular approaches which will actually help better achieve those key dynamics of a classroom but through the remote environment. Things like having the holding card, very small element but the holding card, I hadn't thought of doing that before and it really did sort of reclaim that ownership of the space, the virtual space, which I'd I'd really struggled with because obviously the students are learning from home which is their territory. Um, In addition, I, I really liked how uh, Lemov accentuated and I I then fed back to my team on these ideas of referring to when we were in the classroom together before and when in the future we're back in the classroom together. So this remote learning period being part of a process rather than a new normal. And I liked that. I felt that was sending out really positive messages just as that whole positive engagement, what the, the book helped me with, uh, particularly as a a slightly surly, cynical northerner, uh, is to really accentuate the positive and almost be a, I think we described it when chatting about it in my department as as sort of being the, the CBB's presenter version of ourselves remotely to really make sure we are driving home that positive message to help engage the students Um, because what came across in the book really clearly, which challenged my own pedagogic approach is that it's about engagement over challenge and given how long we've spent um, addressing the uh, the you know the dark days of it being about engagement rather than the the level of learning that was quite a hard thing to adapt to but I completely now understand it and it's something that has definitely helped improve the learning of the remote environment actually has enabled me to gradually increase that level of challenge again as a result of the, the buy-in from bringing in those um, changes that, that Lemov has suggested. So overall, um, I think that it has had a really positive impact. I won't say transformational because I was actually happy with a lot of the elements of what we're providing in remote, but what the book did is it enabled me to really hone in on those aspects that minutiae that I could implement to improve my teaching and through a um, inset CPD session that I delivered to my entire faculty how they could bring these ideas into their own approach to remote learning and as we are 
coming towards the end of the remote period, at least this one, um, it certainly has made me feel quite proud of what we've done. And I feel like we've given a really good diet in of learning to the students. And that's in no small part down to the um, very timely intervention of um, the remote learning book. So thank you very much, Doug. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate your focus on how we move on and what we should take away from this book into our normal classroom practice. The next episode of From Page to Practice will be on how learning happens. So if you've read and enjoyed this book, then please do get in touch. As per usual, you can find me at PagePracticePod on Twitter and at PagePracticePodcast on Instagram and From Page to Practice on Facebook. If you enjoy the podcast, please do share far and wide, pop a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use. And if you're feeling extra generous, then I'll always accept a contribution to my coffee fund. The link is the pinned tweet on the podcast account. But the main thing is that you just keep coming back and listening. I'll be back in two weeks to talk about how learning happens. So until then, bye. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag page practice podcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons. <laughs>